of those things are at risk if he serves a lifetime in prison. There's no way that this offender woke up on March the 1st and said, I'm going to assault and murder and strangle that child. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous, multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hey y'all, it's Francie. I have some really exciting news. You can now listen to our back catalog and new episodes of the show completely ad-free on Stitcher Premium. In addition to our ad-free episodes, you can also listen to tons of other ad-free Wondery shows. Plus, with Stitcher Premium, you'll get access to hundreds of hours of original content, audio documentaries, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of your other favorite podcasts. You can sign up now for a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery and using the promo code Wondery. Then once you're signed up, just download the Stitcher app for iOS or Android and start listening. That's stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery and promo code Wondery. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Worst Case Scenario. I'm your host, former state and federal prosecutor Francie Hakes. And I have a lot on my mind today. You guys may notice that I am by myself. Jim Clemente is on assignment. He will be back next week where we will be taking up our discussion of the Leaving Neverland revelations that have come out against Michael Jackson. So make sure that you tune in for that because Jim has some very special insider perspective. But this week, I wanted to talk to you all about what I consider to be a worst case scenario. And that is the murder of 11-year-old Amberly Barnett. I don't know how many of you heard about the murder of little Amberly. It's a very sad case. And I think there are a couple of lessons to be learned, and I wanted to talk to you guys about it today. And I wanted to get started with you, a Facebook discussion, a Twitter discussion. Engage. Let's talk about what you think, because there are two things here. One is the death penalty, which I know that some of you agree with me and some of you agree with Jim on the topic. So I wanted to expound on that a little bit this time. And two, are there any lessons that we can take that we might be able to learn from the death of Amberly Barnett to protect children so that something like what happened to her never happens to any children that you know or that I know? So let's start at the beginning. Back in the beginning of March, March 1st, actually, Amberly Barnett was at home 
where she lived with her aunt in Alabama. Her aunt and her aunt's boyfriend went shopping, leaving 11-year-old Amberly home alone. It was the middle of the day. It was light outside. When they got home from shopping at 7.30 that evening, they discovered that Amberly was missing. They reported it immediately to the police, and a manhunt ensued. Everyone did what they were supposed to do to try to find Amberly Barnett. Everyone except one man, and that was a neighbor. And he was related through a dating relationship to the aunt and her boyfriend in this case. And police went to his home, which was near to the home where Amberly lived, and they asked whether he had seen her and whether he could help look for her. This man, who I won't name, told police that he had looked for Amberly in the woods behind where he lived, and that he hadn't seen her and didn't know where she was. So police kept searching in other places for Amberly. Of course, by then, Amberly probably was already dead. Jim Clementi always knows all the statistics about children who are kidnapped and killed and how quickly such a tragedy befalls these children. The statistics are shocking. A great majority of them are killed in the first hour or even two after they're kidnapped. What happened to Amberly? Well, I'm sure as the weeks and the months roll by, as this case proceeds through the courts, we'll hear, we'll know everything, and we'll be shocked by everything that happened to Amberly. What it looks like now was this heinous neighbor targeted Amberly. Now, what did he target her for? Well, we certainly know that she's dead. It looks as though at least he's accused, this man, of killing her. Police and prosecutors believe they have enough evidence to charge him with capital murder. Now, capital murder doesn't necessarily mean the death penalty, but it could. It means that this murder charge can bring either life or death. Now, I've made my views on the death penalty clear. And in this case, it certainly looks as though there's a lot of blood evidence in this man's house that will show that Amberly was killed there. There's also rope, this blue rope. It haunts me a bit. Amberly was apparently strangled. That was the cause of her death. When she was found with just one sock on in the woods, she had been strangled by a blue rope, the same kind of blue rope that this man had in his trailer. That man's girlfriend says that, oh yes, that rope looks familiar. He uses that kind of rope. And it turns out he's into bondage. So what I suspect we're going to hear is that this man who I believe is 33 years old, saw Amberly playing, maybe on many occasions. Maybe he even had dinner with her. Maybe he had meals with the family because, like I said, he was dating someone close to the person the aunt was dating. So he saw Amberly and he decided he wanted to take her. It appears he had some kind of bondage fetish. A former girlfriend has come forward to say that. We don't know if it's true yet or not, but I suspect we're going to find that it is. So I think... He targeted Amberly, and she was a target of opportunity. She was left alone. Now, at 11 years old, left alone in the middle of the day while your guardian goes out shopping doesn't seem that unreasonable, does it? But it allowed Amberly to be targeted. And so I suspect he went over there and either lured her out or took her. Unfortunately, I think we're going to find that Amberly was sexually assaulted and then murdered by this man who then dumped her body. After dragging her through the woods, they found her sock and some hair and other places that suggest that she'd been dragged. Dragged her through the woods and then dumped her 
and then lied to the police about it. And then he tried to get rid of at least some of the evidence by taking off his bloody jeans. We can assume they were bloody with Amberly's blood and putting them in the wash. Police later found them still with blood on them in the dryer. Now, what could have caused him to target Amberly? And what should have been the penalty for this? And is there a way for us to protect our children from these kinds of predators? This is what Jim and I talk about all the time. The virtues of vigilance. How do you protect your children from someone who is a true predator and who takes them to kill them? First, let's talk about punishment. I make no secret of the fact that I support the death penalty. I always have, probably always will, and this is the kind of case why. Assuming the evidence stands where I think it does, assuming they can prove in court that this man took and murdered Amberly, I think he deserves the ultimate punishment. Why is that? You know, I hear from a lot of people, and I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, well, life in prison is a much worse punishment than death. I don't believe that. That's just not true. In prison, they get cable. They get to educate themselves. He can go to college. He can get degrees. He could get conjugal visits. He can get married. He can enjoy life. Sure, he's in prison, but it's not like it's torture. We're not allowed to do that. So he gets to enjoy the gym and working out and socializing and reading. All of these things he gets to do every minute of every day of every month that he took from this 11-year-old girl, that her family has to suffer every minute of every day of every month of every year that he took from them. And people who think that life means life don't actually know anything about the prison system. Most offenders do not spend their entire lives in prison. They don't get what I like to call a pine box sentence because when they get old or when they get ill, they become too expensive for us, the taxpayers, to house. And so the parole board, the people who run the prisons, they decide to just let them out. So at what point is he so old and so sick we no longer care? about every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every month of every year that he took from Amberly. She'll never do any of the things that he has gotten to do in the 20 more years of life that he has lived now and may very well live if all he gets is life in prison. I fundamentally do not agree that that is fair. Now, I agree that there are some issues in our criminal justice system. I don't dispute that. I would never say no innocent people get prosecuted. That would be absurd. Of course it happens. Mistakes happen. But we have a very aggressive and very thorough appeal system in this country, especially in death penalty cases. The paperwork and the hearings that the prosecution has to go through just to get to a trial generally takes about two years. That's a massive investment in ensuring that the wheels of justice are grinding fairly in every death penalty case. Was it always that way? Definitely not. Is it that way now? Yes. Do I feel confident this scumbag will get a fair trial? Oh, I do. I absolutely do. So life in prison is not sufficient punishment, in my opinion. It may be in some of yours, and I respect your opinions. I really do. I disagree vehemently, but I respect them. 
in my opinion, someone who takes the life of a child like this, in this kind of cold, calculating way, does not deserve to breathe the air the rest of us breathe. And that's just the way I feel about it. I will always believe someone like him should be executed. In addition to enjoying his time in prison and possibly getting out when he is sick, you simply cannot guarantee that there won't be someone down the road with political clout or someone who uh, is owed a favor by a governor, a future governor of Alabama, who can commute his sentence, who can let him out, who can pardon him. All of those things are at risk if he serves a lifetime in prison. And 20 years from now, someone will say, oh, he's paid his debt. He's spent enough time in prison. And in many other countries, 20 years is a big sentence. In places like England, killers rarely get that much time in prison. So who's to say 20 years from now, the mores of this country don't suddenly decide that 20 years for the murder of an 11-year-old is more than sufficient. Open the gates. I don't agree with that. I don't agree that 20 years is enough time. 30 years isn't enough time. 40 years isn't enough time. This offender, this murderer of a child is 33 years old. He could live to be 80 or 90. I do not agree that simply because he's spent a certain number of years in prison or sick or is otherwise just old that he deserves to get out. So for all of those reasons, this is the exact kind of case, assuming the proof is what we think it is, that merits the ultimate punishment. This man has taken the life of an innocent child and should pay the ultimate price for it. I just, I don't see any other way. And I hope that's what happens. And I'll follow the case and I'll certainly update you on that. The 2019 FabFitFun Spring Box is on sale now. Treat yourself with items in it, such as Quay Australia Shades and some of the most luxurious hand, body, and skincare products you can imagine, and so much more. It was so fun to get my box and open it up and try new products. Glam Glow is one of my favorites, and there were some of that in there. Fab Fit Fun is a seasonal subscription box delivered four times a year with full-size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. They're full-size products. They're not samples. Every box is guaranteed to have over $200 plus in retail value. It's a fantastic value. So sign up for FabFitFun today. These boxes always sell out. Use our promo code CASE to get $10 off your first box. All you have to do is go to FabFitFun.com to sign up and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CASE to get $10 off your first box. That's over $200 for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com, use our code CASE to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Warby Parker was conceived as an alternative to the overpriced and bland eyewear available today. Prescription eyewear shouldn't cost you more than a plane ticket or a new iPhone. 
by circumventing traditional channels and engaging with customers directly through their website and retail stores, Warby Parker is able to provide high-quality, good-looking prescription eyewear at a fraction of the price. Every pair is custom-fit with anti-reflective, polycarbonate prescription lenses. I love my Warby Parkers. I have the glasses and the sunglasses. Warby Parker has a free home try-on program. You can order five pairs of glasses and try them on for five days. There's no obligation to buy. They ship for free, and it includes a prepaid return shipping label. Just go to warbyparker.com slash best case to order your free home try-ons today. These glasses start at $95. That includes prescription lenses. Lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings. They even have blue light filtering lenses now available. Just go to warbyparker.com slash best case today and get your five free pair of glasses to try on for five days. You'll love them as much as I do. But what can we learn from this? This is such a grim case. It's so difficult to read the facts and to think about Amberly Barnett. It's one of the things I think that most upsets me when I was a prosecutor and now as a former prosecutor. So many people don't want to listen when you talk about ugly crimes. And yes, agreed, it's difficult. But if we don't talk about it, how can we address it? If we don't think about it, how can we protect the children in our families and our communities from this very kind of predator? And How can we serve as jurors, as fair and impartial jurors, passing judgment in these kinds of cases if we can't even think about this issue, if we can't face the fact that in our society, and they're few in number, not as few as we would like, but that in our society there are those who prey upon children, who take advantage of those who cannot defend themselves. Little Amberly would have been half or even less than half the size of this offender. She could not protect herself. Who stood up for Amberly? No one did then. I hope someone does now. And we all have to stand up so that the next child does not fall prey to the same kind of predator. So what do we look for? What do we know? Well, we know a lot about these kinds of offenders. And while especially when it comes to serial killer cases like the Golden State Killer and others, we often hear the neighbors will come out and say things like, oh, he seemed like a normal guy, or he was very quiet, or oh, he seemed very nice to me, uh, or I don't know much about him. But when it comes to these kind of predators, especially those who prey on children, I have found someone always knew something that was a sign or a signal of this person's prurient, deviant, criminal interest in children. What do we have here? Is it simply the fact that this offender apparently was interested in bondage? Of course not. Now, some of you may think bondage is fine. Some of you may think it crosses a line. I don't know, but there's nothing criminal about it so long as it's between consenting adults. But there's no way that this offender woke up on March the 1st and said, I'm going to assault and murder and strangle that child. That did not happen. There has to be something in his past. He's 33 years old. So his parents, his siblings, his cousins, his former ex-girlfriends, his current girlfriend, his friends, if he has any. 
some one of them or number of them have seen the signs that we should all know by now to look for. Is he watching or collecting or trafficking in child pornography? That is, according to legendary FBI man Ken Lanning, the primary signal of a an obsessive sexual interest in children. That is the collection, the use, the trafficking in child pornography. Is there child pornography on some of his digital devices? Does he have a laptop or a phone? Does he have a physical collection? I think we'll find it. I think the police are looking for it. Someone knows something in his past that shows that as our social scientist friends tell me, this man's deviant sexual interest in children was set at the time he hit just about puberty, or at least by the age of 18. He's 33. That's more than a decade for people to have noticed his deviant sexual interest in children. Did anyone who saw it report it? Did anyone express concern about it? Well, clearly not to Amberly's aunt, or at least not that we know of. And so Amberly was vulnerable to a predator that no one reported. What else? Did he talk to anyone about his interest? Did he write to anyone about his interest? What was his internet search history like? Did he have violent sexual fantasies? Did he injure or hurt his prior partners? Did he ask them to call him names like daddy? Or did he ask them to role play younger than they were? These are all potential signals of a deviant, potentially criminal sexual interest in children. These are things to look out for. Where did he hang out? What was his job? I haven't heard anywhere in the media what he did for a living. Did he volunteer anywhere around children? These are often classic signs of someone with an interest in children who doesn't have any, but who always wants to spend time with them. Is he known as that kind of person in the neighborhood? Did kids congregate at his house? Did he possess games and toys that were age appropriate for children when he didn't have any or have any reason to have any? All of these things are signs that people can look for to figure out whether or not someone that they are trusting to be around their children is actually someone who would victimize or ultimately horrifyingly murder the children in their care. We have to do a better job as a society of looking out for these people. Was he stalking Amberly? Did anyone notice that he was constantly watching her or making excuses to be around her? Did he ever try to pick her up from school? Did he make her uncomfortable? I hope the police are very carefully interviewing all of Amberly's friends and classmates to see whether or not this offender ever made Amberly herself uncomfortable. And we need to talk to our children about it. It is not enough to prepare ourselves. We have to protect our children. I like to say that children are their own first best line of defense against victimization. We need to teach our children that it is okay for them to tell a trusted adult, a parent, a teacher, a counselor, an aunt, a coach, if someone is making them feel uncomfortable. Make sure they understand that no one has a right to make them feel uncomfortable. That line of communication between you and your child is critically important so that when, if 
something happens to them that concerns them, that makes it seem to you that they might become a target, that they are perfectly comfortable communicating that fear, that potential threat to you. We have to better educate ourselves, our families, our communities, and our children about protecting themselves against people like the person who murdered Amberly Barnett. I'd like for Amberly Barnett's murder to be the last child killing that we ever see. Do I think that's possible? I don't know. Do I think it's likely? Tragically, I don't. Because children are uniquely vulnerable. They're small. People don't believe them when they tell stories that someone else is not inclined to believe or doesn't want to believe. Just look at what's happening in the Michael Jackson case. How many people around the world are lining up on the side of Michael Jackson and disbelieving the two young men who've come forward to say that he serially abused them when they were children? Why is that so hard for people to believe? Why is it so hard for people to believe that someone like this offender who killed little Amberly exists? Well, evil exists. Jim hates it when I use that term, but I, I don't know. I can't think of a better one. Evil exists. And if we accept that, we can learn to recognize it and learn to protect against it. Evil came for Amberly Barnett on March the 1st. I hope that you all are a little better equipped to make sure that evil never comes for the ones that you love. And hopefully evil never comes for a child ever again. But let's continue talking about this on Facebook. What do you do? How do you talk to your kids? Send me a tweet or send us a message at our best case, worst case Facebook page. What are your strategies for protecting those that you love? Do you leave your 11-year-old home alone in the daytime? Will what happened to Amberly Barnett change what you do? Should it? Or should you arm your children with the knowledge that they need to protect themselves so that you can feel confident when you do leave that they can protect themselves, that they will tell you when they feel under threat? This is a very difficult topic. I'm sure we will revisit it. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Worst Case Scenario. Thanks for listening. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Knowledge is power, and when we know the facts about sexual abuse, we can better protect kids. Darkness to Light has already trained more than 1.4 million adults to keep children safe from sexual abuse. I'm one of those 1.4 million, Jim. Using their Stewards of Children Prevention Training, they give you and gave me the facts, tools, and tips I needed to help keep the kids I love safe, and you can do the same with their Stewards of Children Prevention Training. Get trained today to prevent, recognize, and react responsibly to child abuse in your community. 
Learn more about Darkness to Light and child sexual abuse prevention at www.d2l.org. That's D, the numeral 2, L.org. Oh,